Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Well, good morning. Good afternoon, Soul City. Uh, wherever or however you're watching from, it is good to see you. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is John Jorgensen, and I need a haircut, people. Uh, one small thing that I am waiting for right now is to return to Floyd's on Irving and have Deanna clean all this up because I am a mess right now. And I know we're all waiting for things. So right now in the comments, uh, why don't you write, what is one small thing that you can't wait to do once this stay at home season is over? Maybe like me, it's a haircut. Maybe it's sitting down to eat at a restaurant again. You remember that? Maybe it's just to wear something other than sweatpants. I don't know what it is for you, but we're all waiting right now. We're waiting for big and small things. And if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, we've been in this series, How to Win at Waiting. And we're focusing on not just how we can get through this season, but rather what does God want to do in and through us while we're in it? And last week, you might remember Jarrett, he took us through Romans chapter 8, talking about the difference between a victim mentality, where life happens to me, and a victor mentality in Christ, where instead I focus on God working through me. And today what I want to do is I want to build on this and sort of take a next step. But to start, I thought I would begin by sharing a little bit of where I've seen my own victim mentality pop up recently. So I don't know about you, but I have this thing where I say yes to everything. And so my life before COVID-19, if I'm totally honest with you, I was overscheduled personally and I was overworked professionally. And so I was falling into this victim mentality where I would think to myself, "Uh, if only my schedule were different or if only I chose a different career, then I wouldn't be so stressed. And so several weeks ago, when Governor Pritzker made the announcement of the stay-at-home order, if I'm totally honest, there was a small part of me that was a little bit relieved at first. Not relieved that there was a virus, but I thought to myself, you know, well, at least if everything's canceled, then I can finally get some rest. Did anyone else have that thought? However, here's what happened. It didn't take very long for new remote work projects to come in for me. Didn't take long for the Zoom happy hours to start, and the Zoom meetings, and the Zoom debriefs of those Zoom meetings. And again, of course, I said yes to all of them. And before I knew it, I had become just as overscheduled and overcommitted and stressed out and short-tempered in stay-at-home as I was before stay-at-home. Did anyone else have a similar experience to this? You see, my, my victim mentality told me that if my schedule wasn't so full, if my situation would just change, then I wouldn't be so stressed. My problem would magically go away. But then my situation did change and I still had the same problem. And that's when I realized that my situation was not the problem. My system was the problem. You see, the the problem was actually much deeper than my schedule, the problem was the very way I had structured my life. The problem was the rhythm of productivity and borderline workaholism that my soul had become accustomed to. The problem really was that I had a bad system. 
And one thing this season of COVID-19 is doing, among other things, is it is revealing the brokenness of many of our systems. Whether it's me personally, like my addiction to busyness, or perhaps relationally for you. A lot of you have never spent this much time with your family or roommate before. And you're starting to realize that your system for dealing with conflict or just your rhythm of life together, you're realizing it doesn't really work. Or you're realizing that you never really had a system in the first place. And so it has just been chaos for like a month. Yeah? This season is revealing just how fragile some of our financial systems are. Where within a week of the stock market plummeting, many businesses and our country as a whole was entirely in panic mode like that. I think we're all feeling this in some sort of way. And it's not that we thought stay at home would be better. No, we didn't think that. But we at least thought it would be different, yeah? But now, a month in, we're finding that it's just more of the same in a lot of ways. We're experiencing more of the same stress. We're having more of the same fights, more of the same worries, more bad systems. And hear me, this is not something to make you feel bad or guilty. Remember, this is true for me as well. But I do believe that during this waiting season, we're all being given an opportunity to examine our systems to examine our current ways of doing life, specifically in those areas where we might feel our system is broken or faulty or our life is just out of rhythm. And I think one of the best ways that we can win at waiting in this season is by seizing this opportunity and by beginning to create and live into new or better or more useful systems. Because here's what a good system does for you. A good system keeps you in rhythm. Think for a second about your physical health. You can ask any person who has ever lost a bunch of weight or transformed their body in a serious way. I'm willing to bet you they had a system. My senior year of high school, I realized because I'd stopped playing sports, I had gained a bunch of LBs. And so I got on a system. I had a workout regimen. I had an eating plan. And I lost 40 or 50 pounds over the course of a year. And it took me a little while, but eventually I got into that rhythm of going to the gym, of eating well. I had a good system in place. My wife Erin and I, we have a system for cleaning our house. I do the kitchens and the bathroom. She does the living room and the bedrooms. And whoever gets done first gets to vacuum. And in that system, you better believe, I throw the Lysol on my hip and it goes like clockwork. We also have a system for ordering pizza. And that is a rhythm we are trying to escape. Please pray for us. But you've probably seen this in your own life in one way or another. When we establish these good and healthy habits and practices, and we commit to them, then that system establishes a rhythm for our lives. A good system keeps us in rhythm so that even when the rhythm of our world is completely thrown off by something, say, like a pandemic, and we're thrust unexpectedly into this season of waiting, if we have a good system in place, then our lives will remain in rhythm. And what I think is so amazing is that God has been laying out a system or a structure for human beings since the beginning of time. This is a structure that leads to your flourishing, to the good kind of life that we all want. God has already made a good system for you. And that system 
finds its expression in the life and ministry of Jesus. So if you would, uh, grab a Bible for yourself or open a tab or open an app on your phone and head to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. That's where we're headed. Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. Now it should come as no surprise that Jesus himself offers us a system, a blueprint. Jesus has a way of doing life. But as a rabbi or a Jewish teacher in the first century, Jesus called his system a yoke. Now, that verbiage sounds very strange to our modern ears, so a little bit of a crash course on first century Judaism. It was very familiar, this term yoke was very familiar to Jesus's first century followers. In Jesus's Jewish culture, a yoke referred to how a rabbi interpreted the scriptures. It was that rabbi's code or system for applying the words of scripture to our lives as humans. And so their yoke would include things like what kind of foods you could eat and not eat, what sacrifices God required, which days of the week were holy or sacred. And your rabbi's yoke, it would inform every area of life, every decision that you made. And they get this word yoke, not from an egg or from a breakfast diner in the West Loop, but a yoke was an object that you would put across the shoulder of two oxen as they were pulling a wagon. And what it does is it hitches those oxen together and it keeps them in step with one another. And this was a tool actually used for the safety of those oxen. So one wouldn't go too fast or one wouldn't go too slow or veer off to the side. It kept them in step with one another. And so the idea or the metaphor was that under your rabbi's yoke, you would walk in step with him. Whatever your rabbi did, you did. Wherever your rabbi went, you went. This is what it meant to be yoked to your rabbi. And many of the yokes in Jesus's day, many of them were extremely strict. What had happened was certain sects of Judaism, like the Pharisees, they had heaped on these extra harsh religious man-made traditions on top of what scripture required. And they did this to the point where it actually became impossible to follow and live out that yoke. Maybe you grew up in a church tradition that felt like this, strict and harsh. Maybe that's why you turned away from church at one point, because to you it just seemed like a bunch of rules and you were made to feel less than or guilty if you didn't or couldn't follow the rules the way your church or your pastor said you should. Religion has been putting heavy yokes on people for centuries. But it is in the midst of all of this that Jesus shows up with his yoke in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And I want you to listen to how he describes it. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, again, rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you hear that? In a culture where so many religious leaders were teaching a way that was restrictive and burdensome and heavy. In that culture, Jesus comes along and offers a way of life, a system that he says is easy and light. 
In this way, it doesn't lead to burnout, but he says it leads to rest. This system, it doesn't shame you or guilt you because you weren't able to do things perfectly, but it's gentle. This is not a system that leads to death. It is a way that leads to what Jesus called life and life to the full. Jesus's yoke was completely different than any other rabbis of his day. Or, by the way, any of our day. I mean, could this be any different than the modern yokes of our culture? Easy, light, restful, gentle. Is this how you talk about your job? My guess is probably not. Many of us, we exist in a workplace culture that is defined by long hours and heavy expectations. And this is not just the norm, but this is something many of us brag about. Many of us wear our busyness of our demanding job like it's a status symbol. I started this message by telling you about how busy and full my schedule is. Does Jesus' vision of an easy yoke align with your view or experience of marriage? Our culture often teaches us that marriage is this burdensome binding contract where you sign your life away. You give up your freedom to sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want. That's not how God intended it. Does this match up with your life as a parent? Now, I'm not saying that parenting should be easy, especially right now. Very few things in life worth doing are that easy. But when you build a system where you only ever make your kids the center of the universe and you never take time for yourself and your own health and your own soul, eventually that yoke will take its toll on you. And maybe you're not a parent, but I'm willing to bet you can think of an area of your life where things are starting to feel heavy, where you're burdened by a heavy yoke. Maybe right now you're caring for someone and you're doing it alone and it's just starting to feel like too much responsibility. Maybe it's financial. You can't look at another bill right now when you're out of work. You can't do another day in isolation. And every day you're seeing how your current system in that area of your life, it's just not working. And again, I want you to hear me. There's no guilt. There's no shame in that. But if that's your experience right now, I would ask you a question. Don't you want something lighter? I'm not saying, and Jesus is not saying that life should be easy, but don't you want a better way to carry the challenges of life? Don't you want to experience the kind of life you hear about all the time in scripture or in church, this kind of life that is defined by things like rest and grace and freedom? Don't you want to be able to live that way? Okay, I can't see you right now, but I imagine at this point you are screaming at your screen, yes, yes, John, I want that kind of life. So where's the list? Where's Jesus' sermon on it? His outline? Did he write a self-help book? Did he give a TED talk on this? Where can I find it? Well, I don't want to disappoint you, but you can search all through the four gospel accounts of Jesus's life and you will not find a comprehensive explanation of his yoke. Now, Jesus, he gives us phrases. He gives us small lessons and teachings along the way, sure. But Jesus does not give us an explanation of his way. And I think that's because Jesus' entire life was an example of his way. 
Jesus, he didn't just talk about it, he lived it. And that's because the way of Jesus, the yoke, the system of Jesus, it's not just a list of ideas and morals and rules to follow and good habits for being more productive. It was the deep personal rhythms of his day-to-day life. It was in the times of intimate personal prayer with his father. It was in how he treated and served the outcast and the left out. It was in the ways he stood up to injustice in the world. It was in the selfless life he lived and the sacrificial death he died. And so then it makes sense that in order for us to understand and walk in the way of Jesus, we simply have to look at the life of Jesus. We simply read and observe his rhythms of prayer and rest and work and relationships. And then we build those rhythms into our lives, in our context. And when you do this, when you establish these rhythms in your life, here's what happens. When the life of Jesus informs you, the way of Jesus transforms you. The eventual goal of following a rabbi was to become like that rabbi. And when you allow Jesus's life to inform your life, when you begin walking in his rhythms, you will begin to grow and change and become more and more like him. I am not a perfect person, far from it, but I can promise you that since I started walking in the way of Jesus when I was 14 years old, I am a very different person than I was then. I've watched as Jesus has made me little by little more loving, a little bit more wise. He's working on me with generosity. I mean, don't you want to become a person of peace even in the midst of all this chaos? Don't you want to become a person of joy who is also able to endure through suffering? Don't you want to experience that kind of deep connection and intimacy with other people and with God? In short, here's what happens. When you follow the way of Jesus, his life, informing your life. You become the person you were created to be. This is the opportunity we have by saying yes to walking in Jesus's way. Now, over the centuries, church leaders have come up with a million different names for how we as followers of Jesus do this, how we put on his yoke, walk in his way. The tradition I grew up in calls these spiritual disciplines or practices. The early monks called it a rule of life. My friend Jeff calls them formations. Ruth Haley Barton has a book on them. She calls it sacred rhythms. And so here at Soul City, I thought it would be appropriate in order to tie all of this to the mission of our church, if we called these rhythms of transformation. Again, these are the habits and patterns and rhythms of Jesus that when we establish them in our own lives, they actually help lead you into that transforming relationship with Jesus that we talk so much about. This is how you experience the transformation that we talk about on Sunday, all seven days of the week. And a very simple way that you can begin to walk and step into these rhythms is by asking three questions. And you might wanna write them down, whatever you have around you, tap them into your phone, whatever you need. I'll tell you all three of the questions and then I wanna unpack them. First, how do I do this? Second, how did Jesus do this? And then how would Jesus do this if he were me? First, how do I do this? 
we simply start by examining our current system or our current way of doing this. What are my current rhythms for prayer or for rest or for community? What do they look like? And here, you might be tempted to judge yourself. I encourage you, do not. Just notice what your rhythms are. Start with what is. Then move to, how did Jesus do this? This is where we begin to look at the life of Jesus. We read and observe how Jesus taught or how he lived when it came to things like work or politics or sexuality. Now, a little side note, we have to be really careful here because there were certain things that we encounter every single day that were just not a part of Jesus's world. Like, you're not gonna find any verses about Jesus's rhythms with his iPhone, no. But Jesus does talk a lot about our attention and what we give our time and devotion to. And so best we can, observe the example set by Jesus. Then the third part, how would Jesus do this if he were me. This is where we use wisdom to connect the dots and apply this in our lives. Based on what I have observed in the rhythms of Jesus, how does your rhythm need to be altered or changed? You might ask yourself, how would Jesus parent my kids if he were me? How would Jesus engage in church online? How would he go about work if he had my job? If Jesus were in my unique stay-at-home situation, what kind of rhythms do I think he would put in place so that he could win at waiting? And here's a little clue. The, the answer to that third question, that's your rhythm of transformation. That's the habit or practice that you begin to put in place. And that's the one that begins to transform you. And so this week, I wanna invite all of us to put this into practice, really simply. Choose an area of your life, whether it's your family dynamic, your prayer rhythm, your work, your practices of self-care. Maybe it's one that feels a little off right now. Choose one area of your life and run it through that funnel. Ask those questions and then establish a new rhythm based on the way of Jesus. I just want to encourage all of us, try this for a week, see how it fits with you, and then adjust accordingly. Because here's the beauty of this, these rhythms of transformation, they're going to look totally different depending on who you are, yeah? How they look for me as an introverted pastor who's married with no kids is going to be totally different than how they look for you if you are a type A foster mom of two or a single nurse who's having to work incredibly long hours right now or even as a spontaneous creative who despises all things structure and you really wanna turn off this sermon right now. Listen to me, I wanna to speak to you. This is not meant to be another thing that you have to do to succeed at stay at home. That's not what this is. This is not meant to be this restrictive, oppressive God itinerary for your life. These rhythms, they are meant to be flexible. And there is no shame, absolutely no shame, if you fall off of them a little bit. I got off my own rhythms this week while preparing a message on rhythms. During stay at home, Aaron and I, we've gotten into the rhythm of putting our computers away by dinner time. And then we spend the rest of the night together, making sure we're not distracted or pulled away to work. But this week, there I was again in my workaholism, in my attempt to make this message as good as possible, 
One night, I worked straight through dinner and on to nine, maybe 10, 10.30 at night. And when I came to bed, Aaron, uh, with a little frustration, but with grace and with love, just reminded me, you know, that's not our rhythm. There was no shame in it. There was no guilt. It was just a reminder that working in that way, that's not going to help our marriage thrive. Working like that with that rhythm, that's not going to help us win at this waiting game. And I don't know where you are today. Maybe you are the type of person who is afraid and turned off by any sort of structure. Or maybe you're feeling shame right now because you established rhythms and habits at the beginning of this. You promised you were going to crush quarantine and you haven't really been able to keep up with it. So you're starting to feel guilty. Or maybe you right now are feeling burdened because you're carrying a heavy yoke. It's really difficult. But wherever you're at, I just want to read Matthew chapter 11 one more time. And this time I want to share the message translation. And I want you to listen to it. Because wherever you're at today, this is Jesus' invitation to you. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, he says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. These rhythms, the heart of them is not to put another thing on your schedule or to-do list. You don't need that right now. These rhythms, they're not about limiting your life. They're actually about you experiencing more freedom. They're rooted in the belief that Jesus has a better way. He has a better rhythm for you that leads, even in this waiting season, to life and life to the full. And so to close, I just want to give you a little picture of what this can look like. And so I wanna invite our band back up here, if they would. Uh, Our band does a fantastic job of leading us every week, Uh, but they're not just playing around up here. They are not just, you know, going off of improv. Uh, You'll notice that our our band, each of them, they have one of these or two of these uh, in their ears. They're called in-ears. We keep it really simple for musicians up here. I'm just kidding, Jeremy. Uh, But what these in-ears do, among other things, is one of the things that they're hearing in here is they're hearing what's called a click track. And I actually want to play it for you. Can we play that click track? So this is what they're hearing while they're playing. Gives you a little more respect for them, yes? But here's what this click track is. It's not just a little metronomy thing. But this is the basic structure or rhythm of the song that they are playing. And so each of these musicians right now, all the singers, they're all hearing this same click track. But how each individual musician expresses that click track and plays their instrument along with it looks different. So so for example, Tim, based off of this click track that you're hearing in your ear, can you just play a little something on the drums based off this basic rhythm? Go ahead. Come on. 
very good, very good. Tim slaps, he slaps. Um, okay, good. You hear how that sounded? Pretty dope, wish I could play drums. Now, Daniel, I'm gonna ask you, based on this same click track, same rhythm, play something on the keys for me. You hear how different that is? Good, thank you, Daniel. So, again, you're still hearing this click track. It's the same rhythm, it's the same basic rhythm, but how Tim worked within that rhythm on the drums was very, very different than how Daniel did on the keys. This is what these rhythms of transformation do for us. We all are walking in the same way of Jesus. We're basing our lives on the same yoke, the same system, but the rhythm and how we work off of it sounds and looks very different depending on who you are. Now, that's a really fun, cute illustration. Here's the really cool part. Daniel, can you start again for me? Same click. So this is your life. You've committed to these rhythms of transformation. You've done the homework I'm gonna give you in a couple minutes. You're crushing it, yes? And your life, it's beginning to get in rhythm and it's beautiful. Now what happens when someone else in your house, say your spouse or your kids or your roommate, they start living their life based on this same rhythm. Pat, can you play something for me? Ah. It adds to the beauty of it. They play off one another. Now we're starting to hear something, but what happens if maybe everyone in Soul City committed to these rhythms, was living by this same click track, what happens? Josh, can you start playing something? Now we start to get something that starts to sound like, I don't know, Tim? Yes? Now we're getting a little bit closer to what we might call a song. Jeremy, give me some vocals. Give me some vocals to this. Same click. We're all living by the same rhythm, but how we express it, how the beauty and the grace and the goodness of God expresses himself through all of us, it looks very different. And then we start to build what we call a song and Jesus starts to build what he calls his church. When not just the people of Soul City, but everyone who is a follower of Jesus begins to say yes to his way and his rhythms, our very lives start to sing and give grace and give glory to God. This is the opportunity we have, Soul City. And so we're gonna worship now. <laughs> and hopefully you can get that click track out of your head while you do it. But I just wanna encourage you to zero in on the words of this song and begin to open yourself up during this time. Maybe even start to ask God what rhythms he might want to establish in your life. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are a powerful God who is able to conquer the grave and give us forgiveness from our sin and give us a way to be with you, with God in eternity. Thank you that you are a powerful God, but God, I also wanna thank you, Jesus, that you are a practical God. You gave us a blueprint. You gave us a way to do this life. And it's not a restrictive one. It's not something that makes everything we do more difficult, but it's easy. It's light. And God, this week, I pray that we would take time and we would reflect 
and that the people of Soul City, we would begin to establish rhythms of transformation. And as we do, as your life informs us, God, would you transform us from the inside out? Would the people of Soul City begin to look more and more like you? And would our lives begin to sing, sing glory and honor and praise to your name? Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.